Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. My next guest, Kiki, is such a beautiful soul. A friend of mine recommended that I get in touch with her, and when I did, I felt instant connection. I felt like I'd known her for a lifetime. Kiki says her passion and purpose is helping others, and when we dive into her story, you'll see how very apparent that is. Kiki taught for many years, touching so many lives. So when she made the decision to leave education, it was devastating. Kiki says the success in many areas started later in life for her. She met her husband at 39, married at 40. She's a 53-year-old mom of two boys who are five and nine, and she launched her clothing company, Smoothies Tank Tops, only a few years ago. After having an aha moment on the road trip down to the shoe shop when her tank top was riding up. I can't wait to dive deep into her story and share her with you. Hey, Kiki, I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Candice. Um, thank you. I am thrilled to be here and I can't wait to, to share some stories with you. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive in. Um, I want to go straight back to your childhood because you say that your success came later in life. So I want to know, like, what was your upbringing like? What were the early years like? And how did that lead you into what you say is your success, success, successes later in life? So, you know, I, I grew up in Burlington, Ontario, and I'm adopted. Uh, so was my brother, Morgan. And, you know, we were, uh, we were, we lived in, in a, a nice house. We had nice things. Um, and, and sort of my friends would think, oh, you know, she's got, she's got all this and, and whatever. And yet behind closed doors, it was sort of a, a life of anxiety. My mom was very uh, unpredictable. So I would walk through the door after school. I wasn't sure if she was in a good mood, a bad mood, uh, if she was going to be talking to us, that kind of thing. And so for me, uh, the way that I internalized that was there must be something wrong with me if she's acting this way. And I think a lot of people do that. They internalize things and they look at themselves and they're like, it must be me. What's wrong with me? Uh, and so when I grew up, I started to eat and that was a comforting thing for me. And it was something that I could regulate. I could, I knew that it was consistent. I knew I had control over it. And so it sort of started a path for me of uh, eating emotionally. And I, you know, I started gaining weight when I was seven. And I really didn't know who I was. I spent my a good part of and my adulthood, in fact, trying to please other people. I was trying to gain the love of my mom, feeling that she must not love me if she was treating me that way. And you know, when it when it comes down to it, we didn't realize it because we didn't talk about it back then, but it was mental illness. And it's something that is coming to the forefront now with many, many people, because, you know, every second person is dealing with something. And so we figured out much later in life that that's what it was, but it had really changed the trajectory of my life in terms of 
realizing who I was and what I wanted to be, as opposed to someone who had to try to please everybody else. So I had uh, I had disingenuine friendships because I felt like I had to give all the time. And I felt like I had to win over their friendship or their love. And so I, I mean, I had boyfriends, but not many. And they were always the wrong people. And when it turned out to be the wrong people, uh, including my friendships, because they weren't aligned with who I really was and the fact that I didn't know who I really was, when those ultimately fell apart, again, I put the blame on myself. So it wasn't until, you know, I started teaching that I realized I can step out of all that and redefine who I am by giving to others. And I found teaching so incredibly rewarding. I taught junior high kids and I love them. A lot of people say it's the hardest age uh, to teach. And I believe that too, because you've got hormones going and these kids are trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out who they want to be and they want to have their independence. And yet they need their parents' guidance and love even more than ever. And parents get scared and they kind of step away. And so their kids retreat. And that's when they kind of, you're like, who is this kid anyway, you know? And so um, I just, I really, really love teaching the junior high age. And I realized that I had an impact on them by showing them that they were worthy, by showing them that they mattered and that their voices were heard. And, you know, coincidentally, this past weekend, I was honored to attend one of my former students' weddings, and it meant more to me than I can put into words, to be honest. I've known him 20 years now, and I mean, we're friends. He's certainly a different person from when I knew him at 13, and I, we've kept in touch ever since, and, you know, uh, I, I taught his sister, and I became friends with his mom, and so we've been close, but I thought, what an honor, and when I went to the wedding you know, people there were like, and how do you know him anyway? And said, I taught him in grade eight, 20 years ago. So to feel like you've mattered and made some kind of a difference through teaching uh, really, really meant something to me. And it still does that connection with people and being authentic. And I know who I am now at 53, but you know, it took me years and years and years to figure out who that was. And once I did, that's when my husband sort of walked into my life, you know, at, at 39. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. There's so much in that. Just first quick question. You said you and your brother were adopted. Were you adopted from separate families or were you both biological adopted? Yeah. So we were uh, from separate birth moms. Yeah. Okay. So you were adopted and so you're just trying to please your mom and, and get your mom to love you and accept you for who you are. And growing up, trying to fit everybody else's, what, I don't know, needs, what they, what they need. Yeah, so that basically, yeah. Then that journey, like when, when was the shift? I know it's probably continual or continuous. It probably took a while, but when did you start to realize that you didn't have to show up for other people? Um, how they needed you to, but you could actually tap into who you are and just be who you are and be accepted for, for that. So that's a really good question, Candace. Um, you know what? It's interesting. 
in 2019, um, I hadn't spoken to my mom for nine months. And she kind of went on these things where it was like she'd get upset with me and we wouldn't talk. And we hadn't spoken for nine months because she had come to visit with my father. They lived in Nova Scotia and they were here for 24 hours and she got upset about something and she left. They were supposed to be here for two weeks and she left. And when she left, that was that was the last time I talked to her. So it was really, really hard, but it had been years of up and down and up and down. And my husband said, you know, you don't live in that environment anymore. So you don't have to try to please everybody. <clears throat> and I thought, geez, you're right, you know. And in 2019, on a Thursday, my uh, I was going to my friend's place. And my father phoned and uh, I knew it was him because it was through the, the car phone and and this is exactly what he said. I picked up and I go, hey, dad, like, how's it going? And he said, Kiki, it's your dad. I said, I know. <laughs> What's up? And he said, your mom's dying. OK. And I said, what? And it was like. Everything. Everything changed. It changed right then and there. Every single thing that she had ever said to me that hurt my feelings or who who everything, everything changed. And I thought, okay, I need to pull over. I was on my way to my friend's place. And I said, dad, and he said, Kiki, we thought she was going to pass away yesterday, but she's holding on. And I said, I can't talk anymore. I'm going to get on a flight and I'm going to get there. So I hung up the phone from him. Uh, and I raced to my husband's work. I ran in his office and I said, get me on a plane. And so, you know, I, it took two planes to get there. And as I was flying, I phoned the hospital where she was. And I said to the nurse, can I talk to my mom? And she said, well, she's not talking anymore. So she's, she's that far, uh, but she can still hear you. And so I, she said, would you like me to put, let me put the phone to her ear and you can talk to her. And I said, mom, it's Kiki. And I love you. And thank you for choosing me to be your daughter. And I love you. And I want you to hold on until I get there. And so I phoned her three or four times. <clears throat> and I told her that. And I said, wait till I get there. Wait till I get there. Just hang on for me. Please hang on. And the nurse, I heard a guttural noise on the other side. And the nurse said, she heard you. She heard you. And I said, okay. And she said, she blinked her eyes, which she hasn't done in hours. I said, okay. So I got there, uh, got to Halifax at 8.30 in the morning. And I ran down the hall and I saw what I knew to be my mom, but it didn't look like her. And I just, I held her hand for 17 hours. And I told her I loved her and I stroked her hair. And I, I said, you know, everyone in here loves you. And I waited until she took her last breath. And I know with a thousand percent certainty that anything that she said or did that hurt me was not from a place of not loving me. I know that it was a place that she couldn't fight her way out of a wet paper bag. She was so so hurt inside and so wanting help, but she didn't know how to ask for help. 
She didn't know how to say, you know what, I, I, I feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. And, you know, I, I do believe in signs. I was there for 17 hours. My favorite number is 17. Her birthday is February the 17th. She died on her 82nd birthday on February 17th. She died just after midnight to make it her birthday. And I thought, you know, I was so grateful that she waited for me. And it was from that day, 2019, February 17th. And it changed everything for me because I know that she loved me. She just didn't know how to love me the way I wanted to be loved. Mm, oh my gosh. That is like, oh, <laughs> so um, kind of heavy for a Sunday. Right. But I mean, but it's true. I, it, it's, that's what changed everything for me. And I have so much love for her and I see things in a different way. My perspective is so different from being, you know, it was like being a victim you know, oh, I grew up this way. And so this is who I am. It's like, no, this isn't who I am. And it's not who she wanted to be either. Mm-hmm. That's you so, know? so good. I think for anybody listening that, you know, whatever your, your childhood was up, was like, or your upbringing that, you know, whoever was caring for you, like, I'd say like 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time, genuinely do what they do out of love because, and they don't know another way or a better way, or, you know, even like with, with my sons, I'm like how I show up, it is out of love. Like, you know, so even though it's not perfect and it might be affecting them or, you know, like rubbing them the wrong ways. And, you know, I'm just trying my best. And it's like this from such a loving place that, that, that anybody listening that had, you know, was dealing with someone with mental illness or not, or somebody that had the right tools and strategies to really make you feel loved. Because I think there is like a difference between, you know, somebody loving you, like with all of their heart and you feeling that love, but that as you grow up, that, like you said, you don't have to take it on as as the victim that, that you get to make the decision to, um, to understand that it was the best that they could. And then like, I see as you grew up, were there any different boundaries that you held on to? I know, like after you said your mom left that, that final time and, and you didn't talk to her for nine months. Um, were there any specific boundaries that you kind of had growing up or were you just kind of people pleasing and trying to hold the peace throughout? Yeah, that's when you say hold the peace, that's exactly it. My dad used to say, don't upset your mother. Don't upset, don't argue, don't upset with your, don't argue, don't argue. And so I was someone who didn't argue. I was someone who just sat back and didn't say how I felt. And now, you know, I feel like, I feel like moms do the best they can with what they have at the time. And when you know better, you do better, right? And I, I believe that every single mother is doing the best they can with what they have at the time. And we all come from different situations and we can choose. We have something that puts us out of the victim mode and into a power seat mode is we have the choice and the power to choose how we're going to react to any situation, right? How are you going to react 
to this situation? And are you going to react to the situation? Are you going to react with high emotion, which is me? I used to be very reactive. And every time I would react to something, I would take it as reaction. I would take it as, oh, they don't want to. And it was even something like someone canceling a plan. And I thought that was rejection. So I was like, oh my gosh, why, why did they cancel that? Is it, is it me? Is it, did I say something? Are they mad at me? What, what's going on? That's like, that was anxiety producing, you know? And so my boundaries now are, are just, I have a really small circle of very good friends. I know a lot of people uh, and I just, I do find myself reaching out to people that I don't know very well and, and asking, you know, how are you doing? Because I am an empath. And so I feel very, very strongly about animals and people and justice of treating people well. So, you know, I don't put up with people bullying somebody else, whether it's a child, whether it's an adult, that kind of thing. And I look at women much differently now. I look at somebody in the grocery store and I see a mom who might be struggling with her three kids and she's uh, yelling at them or just getting really upset. And, and I kind of joke, I'll look at them and say, Oh my gosh, like, I know how you feel. It's all good. And you know, lots of times you see that relief on their face going, geez, I thought this, you know, and you just know what she's thinking is she's not judging me. She's on my side. And it's like, I feel that women in general need to stop competing and, and comparing. So we have got to stop doing that on, on every single level. And it creates, then it creates uh, sort of a camaraderie and a foundation of connectedness that women really share, which is sort of where I'm at in my life is trying to make a difference in how women feel about themselves and their confidence. Because when I left teaching and I never wanted to leave teaching, um, I was sort of like, who am I now? And what am I going to do? Okay, let's go there. Let's go to the teaching because you are an empath because um, how did you decide to get into education? And tell us about that journey. Um, well, ever since I was little, I knew I wanted to uh, make a change. I knew I wanted to help in some way. So it was sort of, I'm either going to teach or I'm going to be a nurse. And when I was, I, I went to school in Ontario and we had grade 13 back then. So in grade uh, 12, I was in a co-op program and they said, you know what, let's, let's see what you think of this. So they sent me to the rehab uh, in the hospital and I loved it. I was able to connect with a nurse who worked in the OR and she's like, Kiki, do you want to come in and see some operations? I'm like, yes. And I loved it. I thought it was wild. But the only thing holding me back was my physics and chemistry. Uh, not a math person. <laughs> Numbers. <laughs> so I thought, okay, and I'm somebody who needs a lot of sleep. So there's no way I could walk around a hospital trying to, you know, be normal. Uh, if I was doing shift work, you know, four o'clock in the morning, I'd be like crawling into a patient's bed. going, Kiki, just a little snoozy. So... <laughs> I thought, well, let's just go with teaching and then I'll know what I can, you know, I know that I can teach language arts and social studies and stuff like that and, and, uh, and make a difference that way. So then back then, I mean, teaching was so hard to get into as well. You know, you needed an 88% to get in and I got into university, no problem. 
so I did my first degree. And then for teaching, it wasn't until, see, this goes, starts with the old, uh, you start late in life. I graduated from uh, my first degree when I was 22. And then I graduated from my teaching degree. I had a, a lapse in there because to get into teacher's college, that was where that 88% came in. And my first degree was, was I, it was ridiculous. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> I drank too much and I was sort of like, doo, doo, doo. and then I thought, okay, now I got to buckle down and make things happen. So I had to write an eight hour exam in order to get in because they're like, uh, I wrote a very compelling essay to the Dean of the university. And I said, listen, I'm not, I'm not totally, you know, <laughs> I'm not a complete disaster. It's just, I had a, an oopsie poopsie for about three years in university. That's all. And so uh, anyway, I ended up doing this eight hour exam and I aced the exam. I got in and I, I did really well in teachers college and then there were no jobs in Ontario. So it was like, now what am I going to do? So I worked at a hiking store for $8 and 50 cents an hour. And I thought, how am I going to make this happen? You know, how, what am I going to do? And I lived in an apartment and uh, with this guy that worked at the store and, oh my gosh, I was like, what am I going to do? And my mom ended up phoning my cousin who lived out uh, here in Alberta and his wife was a teacher and she said, Kiki, come on out. And I thought, well, I don't know. I'm on the sub list here. I've been called once in two years to sub. And I thought, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do because holy flip-flops, what's happening? I, I, I'm not teaching. Um, wh what am I going to do? I'm going to work for $8.50 an hour? And so I'm like, I have two degrees. What's happening here? And so <laughs> then uh, I came out and I, and I lived with my cousin on his uh, basement floor on an air mattress for a year. And I taught every day and it was fabulous. And then at the end of the year, there was still no job. So I went home. I came back a month later when I received a call saying, Kiki, we want you back. Uh, we'll have a job for you when you get back here. And I'm like, giddy up. So I pack up my car again and I take off. And and uh, and he said, you know, it's with it's with the junior high kids. You have a way with junior high kids. And that's where we'd like you to be. And so I was at a school that was uh, seven to nine, just junior high. And I, I loved it. It was like, wow, these kids. And I used to think of things like out of the box. So we would do, we would teach things differently in my classroom. And I would say to them, you know, if you're not paying attention or you're not, you know, you're, you're fooling around, you're going to get kicked out. Kids didn't want to get kicked out of my class because they were going to miss out on something. So rarely was anybody outside of my classroom. I had really good classroom management that was really strong for me because I commanded the respect and the attention of the kids. It might be because I'm a bigger person. I don't know. I mean, you know, I take up hey, more. No, no, no. Pause there is because of your personality is why. <laughs> <laughs> and keep going. Bless you. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I looked at my students as my kids because I wasn't in a relationship. I wasn't married then. You know, I was 29. It was my first year of teaching. I was the teacher who would give kids rides home if they showed up to school with no jacket on. I was the, the teacher who, you know, somebody had come to class and I didn't want to offend her family, but she was wearing the same clothes every day and they were dirty. And I thought, you know, 
can I help you out sort of thing? And uh, so I just, I put it in her locker, you know, a, a set of clothes and it was sort of like, you know, don't worry about it. We got a washing machine here. We can, you can, you know, and it was just sort of that, how can I help? And, and it was funny in parent teacher interviews, kids would come with their parents. I said, you have to come. And they're like, oh, why do I have to come to parent teacher interviews? And I go, this is not a relationship I'm having with your parents. This is a three-way street bucko, you know? So they would come and, you know, just for instance, they would sit down and, and say, uh, say a boy had his hat on. We didn't allow hats in school. So I'd say, oh, and by the way, you can take your hat off. And the mom just kind of looked over and she's like, he listens to you. And I said, I don't put up with anything but respect. I respect my kids and they respect me. So, you know, and many times after a parent teacher interview, I would get calls and they'd say like, seriously, this is not the same kid. And I said, you're going to see that because they feel more comfortable at home. But they know that I care about them in a different way, right? I'm not their mom and I'm not their dad, but I, I have, and as part of my job, I feel like I need to have that connection with them. And I would say, you've got to keep talking to your kids. Don't, don't let them be alone day after day and go down into the room and you don't know who they're talking to and you don't know what's going on. And then they retreat and then you don't, you know, it's just those things. And it's, it was that showing up every day and wanting to know how their day was, wanting to know how their hockey was or how their dance competition went. And it was that authentic connection. I really cared. Like it mattered to me how they were feeling and what was going on and how can I help you? And I'm like, you are not going to fail this class if you put in some effort, but I'm not going to pass you just because you're taking up space in a seat, you know? And so we would do fun things. And I had, I remember teachers uh, making comments in the staff room and I heard someone say, well, I'm not like Kiki. I don't stand up at the front of the classroom and tell jokes all day. Okay. I don't know, but uh, Kiki doesn't know any jokes. She doesn't know how to tell jokes. Um, it, I said, you know what? I invite you to come sit in my classroom for a couple of blocks and you'll see what I do. But I can guarantee you right here and now, I do not stand up in front of the room and tell jokes. I teach these kids and I teach them in a way that makes them remember. And they look at this experience as something that's a good thing and they want to be there. And that's okay with me, you know? And so it was just sort of like, well, how do you get them to, I had a teacher come to me. He had been teaching 21 years. And he used to stand in, uh, he was a short, a shorter fellow, uh, maybe like five, one, five, two. And he was different. He was a different duck and he taught uh, grade nine and he came up to me and he said, Kiki, I need to ask you something. I'm like, yeah, sure. And he said, how do you get these kids to like you? And I, what, what do you mean? But I don't, because he wasn't liked and he lived close to the school and his every single weekend, I'm not even kidding, he would have kids egg his house. And he ended up getting, you know, this is 20 years ago. So he ended up getting like uh, uh, cameras put on the outside and staff members would go on shift to see who, who it was that was doing these things. And I said, yeah, I just kind of sat back and observed and I said, let me just get back to you on that. I don't even know how to answer that question, but I'll get back to you on it. And then I watched how he interacted with the kids. And he was almost like I used to be, wanting to be liked so bad 
he ended up pushing them away because he was doing what he thought they wanted. He would stand in the hallway with a hand puppet and talk to them. And I'm like, dude, he, they're, they're in grade nine. Um, they're, they're on hand puppets. So, <laughs> okay, let, let's just pull it together here, shall we? And so I said, here's the thing. I said, if you want to, I said, stand in the hallway and just listen to me or come in my classroom and watch how I teach. And I said, there is no magical thing. It's you got to be yourself. Yeah, right there. You're a good guy. You've got two wonderful girls. You've got a healthy marriage. You've got to be yourself. Don't try to be someone that you're not. And you'll you'll have their respect and you'll have them uh, wanting to be in your presence and listening to you so that they understand and learn. Oh my gosh. That's so good. So true. It's like when you can feel that someone is being genuine and who they are, then there's a match for that. But like you said, you know, sometimes we're all trying to, and I've been there, like trying to be what everybody wants, trying to please everyone, trying to like, you have like 20 or 30 kids in your class. You can't be what everybody wants because everybody wants something different. You have to be who you are and connect. We're all human. So there is like a way to connect. We have something in common that we can relate to and connect, but that's so important that you can feel it. I've been in conversations with people who you can feel that it's not genuine or they don't want to be there. Like the conversation is like, they're asking questions, but not turning away and not listening when you're giving the answer. You're like, why'd you even ask me the question? Because you don't, you're not, you don't even care about it. You're turning around and not even listening to the answer. So like that, that that's felt so being genuine. So did things shift for him after he came to you? Did his house stop getting egg? That poor teacher. Oh my gosh. Well, I think, you know, it, it became less. And I actually, I sat down with uh, my kids and I said, listen, this is happening to Mr. So-and-so. This is not cool. This is not okay. This is not how you show. I like this teacher, but I don't like this teacher or whatever. And, um, and so I know, and I, and I remember saying to a couple of kids whose, whose names were floating around. And I said, I want to talk to you guys. And I said, listen, I love you, but this is not okay. And I'll be really disappointed if I find out this is you, you know, and saying just that, that my dad used to say that to me, oh, be disappointed. And it nearly, so you know, just that kind of thing. I think it, I think it slowed down. It may have even stopped, but yeah, it was just one of those things where it was like, you know what, if you just be yourself, they're going to like you, they're going to like you and respect you. And then that gives them an opportunity to learn rather than sit there and looking at you going, wow, this guy really drives me crazy. You know? <laughs> and there is <laughs> me being in education there, there is something special about the junior high teacher, like the junior high teachers that I see, I'm like, you are gods you are gods the teachers that like their personalities and the way that they connect and can talk and relate to the junior high myself if I was in that position I see them in the halls and like run the other way it's like oh my gosh (laughs) like like, doggy dog they're gonna come in like so I, I do feel like it takes a special person like you or some of the other teachers that I've seen to like really all right So you were in education. You loved it. You had this special connection. Like, obviously you're invited to a wedding. How many years later, like you 
left an impact on these kids. So you said you didn't want to leave. So why, what, what happened? What forced you to, to leave if it wasn't voluntary? Um, that is, that was such a hard thing to do for me, Candace. It was, uh, in 2010 and I had, uh, I graduated from my master's degree in education in, uh, 2010. So I, I was taking that while I was teaching full time and it was in a multidisciplinary leadership. And I thought I I didn't want to be administration or anything. I just thought, I want to have that background to better understand where, where people are coming from, because I was the department head uh, of the language arts and social studies department at my school. And by then I had gotten married in 2009 and I was 40 and my husband and I were trying to have a family and it wasn't working. So we had decided to try IVF, which is in vitro fertilization, and our uh, clinic was in Calgary. So I was missing school in order to go through that process. And I kept miscarrying. So, uh, you know, over the course of, of the IVF, I had miscarried four times and I was finding it really, really emotionally, not just draining, but I just wasn't myself. And I was so emotional and anything could kind of set me off. I was on all these different medications. My hormones were crazy. And a third of my staff was pregnant. So, and, and, you know, I was going to be an older mom. Uh, these, these ladies were in their twenties and I had someone come up to me and say, Oh, you must be so jealous. And I thought, wow, that, first of all, what kind of a comment is that? And second of all, no, I wasn't jealous. I was so over the moon happy for these people who were able to carry a baby. And I wasn't. And I thought, now what do we do? But I was missing school because not only of the appointments, but I just couldn't get out of bed. I I was just so depressed, but I didn't know what depression was. I had never felt that before. So I, you know, I was missing a lot of school and I had gone to my principal at the time and I said, you know, I just, no one had come up to me, by the way, no one asked me, Kiki, like, are you okay? Cause you're missing a lot of school. Like, is everything all right? There's a lot of subs coming in for you. Like nobody, no one said a word. And so I, when I said to him, I said, you know, I'm just struggling. And he goes, well, people are talking about you and, and, and why you're not here. And I was like, well, that's kind of unprofessional, <laughs> but I said, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. And so what I would love to do is for next year, can I go half time? And I said, I know somebody I've already spoken to her. She's a wonderful teacher. Uh, she, she can do the, the one half of the social studies. I'll do L.A., and, you know, from, a, from an administration point of view, having two part-time people filling one role is a bonus because you're really getting more than 50% of that person's time and effort, you know? And so uh, he said, well, I'll let you know if, if, uh, if I support that and then we'll go from there. So it wasn't really, it wasn't up to me whether I went part-time, it was up to him. And so a few weeks went by. And I was walking down the hall and all of a sudden he's, he's like, Hey, Kiki. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, remember that question you asked me about, you know, going half time? And yeah. And he goes, well, I don't support it. And I said, okay, I quit. And that was in the hallway. Uh, And I, it came out of my mouth. 
you know, the reactive in me. It came out of my mouth before I realized the impact that it was, was going to have. And I went home that day and I said to my husband, I said, Neil, uh, I quit today. And he goes, okay. He said, what happened, honey? And I told him and he goes, okay, no problem. But he didn't, he knew that I, like I was struggling, right? It was really difficult. And so then it was sort of, all I wanted to do was create a family. And I was honest about why I was missing school. No one came to me to say, are you okay? What's going on? What's happening? And I just felt so, I felt so unappreciative, uh, unappreciated, unappreciated. Unappreciated. Oh, my word. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, I felt like nobody cared. So I, <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was the end of it. And it was, it was like, wow, you know, uh, and I, I felt judged because all people saw was that I wasn't there. They didn't, nobody, nobody wanted to know why or what I was going through or that I had, you know, gone through four miscarriages and, and it was like, do you have any idea how this feels? And so, you know, we, I, I walked away and that was 2010 and it wasn't until 2019 that I created something that was going to kind of follow that path. But in between then, you know, we had adopted two kids and then started our lives and sort of, okay, this is what I left teaching for was to create this family and which was so worth it. Oh, oh my gosh. That gives me full God body goosebumps that you adopted two beautiful little boys. You created your family in that time. And yeah. Do you think, because I guess you, you'd been in those shoes, you've been adopted. So you really understand like that, the impact of the relationship or, or a lack thereof, or, you know what I mean? So like from your previous, previous experience with your mom, when you decided to go through the adoption process and adopt, like what were some of the main, um, lessons or learnings or, or anything that stood out in that process for you that you were going to do differently or some things that you knew that were going to be like, this is going to be how this looks in my life that, that maybe wasn't when you were growing up. Well, I, I knew it's funny when I was in my early twenties and teenage years, when I was really struggling with my mom, I thought I'll never have a girl. If I have a girl, I never want her, you know, I, I just, there's no way I can have a girl. And then when we first put our name into the adoption, like we went through all the adoption stuff, we decided to go through the States because we figured it would be less of a wait. And I was already 40 uh, or I was like 41 at the time. And so I was convinced that we were going to have a girl. And I thought I'm going to show her as much love as I possibly can. And then, you know, even now that just you saying this right now makes me think I wasn't in the same place. Like you don't, you just have to be you, you know what I mean? You just have to love the way you know to love. Mm. And uh, even though my experience, for instance, even though my experience at Christmases were, were usually pretty rough because my mom sometimes wouldn't come out of her room on Christmas day. 
And there was a couple of Christmases when we didn't open our presents until Boxing Day because she stayed in her room. And it was like, for some kids, that would be like, oh my gosh, Christmas is so awful. I love Christmas. I think Christmas is the best. So I go completely banana peels for Christmas. November 1st, my tree's up. And it's not out of disrespect for Remembrance Day. It's because it's a season to Kiki. And my kids all know this. So it's like, okay. But, you know, I, I figured in this adoption process, I'm like, I just have this feeling of, we're going to have a girl. I just have this feeling. And so we get a call and we had been on the list for six months. And I was stepping on my uncle's yacht in Nova Scotia, literally stepping on it. And I get a phone call and I'm like, hello. And it was the social worker. And she's like, Kiki, uh, it's Stacy. I just want you to know you've been matched. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, you guys have been matched. It's, uh, it's with this birth mom. She's having a girl. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe this. Like, this is crazy. And before we even left Nova Scotia, I had basically outfitted an entire nursery. I was online going, oh, get this, got to get that. And, you know, I had probably spent like $2,000 on bedding just for the nursery. And uh, my husband, Neil's like, Kiki, let's just uh, put the brakes on till we get home. And uh, seven weeks later, we get a call and the birth mother had changed her mind. She was going to keep her baby. And I was devastated. I was like, what is this? Like, what is going on? I was so convinced, so convinced. I had a blanket with her name on it. Uh, I knew what I wanted to name my baby girl for years. And I was like, now what am I going to do? And so it was this, like, I would, I started going into stores buying baby diapers. And Neil's like, uh, dude, we, we don't have a baby. What, what, why are you buying diapers? <laughs> Maybe if I buy the diapers and I get the baby bottles and I, and I get everything already, it'll happen, you know? And he, and so we were in New York uh, for a, a conference of his. We were in the Disney store in the baby section. And I was looking through stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, isn't this adorable? And Neil goes, can I say something? And I said, of course. And he said, can you please stop buying baby stuff? And I go, why? And he goes, because it's really, really painful to watch you. And he goes, this is about me too. And I thought, oh my God. It isn't just about me. And he's in this, this just as much as I am. And he goes, I see how much it hurts you that we don't have this baby. And he's like, it hurts me too. But he goes, we can't keep doing this. Like, just, I need you to stop buying stuff. Okay. All right. You're right. All right, then. So we went out, of, we got out of the baby section. We went shopping. We did our thing. We come back to the, um, to the hotel and we have a voicemail I listen to the voicemail and it's our social worker. Hi, Kiki. It's uh, it's Stacy. Listen, we got a match for you. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, here we go again. And she's like, uh, she's having a baby boy. And my heart dropped because I'm like, I am supposed to be having a girl. What's going on? What is going on with the universe? And she, and, you know, uh, long story short. I was there in the room when he was born via C-section and the doctor pulled him out and handed him to me. And it was the most profound experience of my life. And he, he's, he's the reason that I breathe. I mean, this is somehow the universe has given me a human being, a human being to take care of and love. And he is mine. And no one's going to take him away. And I can love him as, as hard as I want to. And I can hold him as long as I want to. 
And it was, it was magic. Wow. It was crazy. And, uh, you know, I was 43. Is that right? I was 43 when he was born and, uh, he's nine now and he's just one of the biggest loves of my life. And, you know, and then we were blessed with another baby boy when I was 48. Um, and he was seven weeks old when we got the call and we took him home a week later at eight weeks. So it's sort of a real message to people to say, you know what, we can have so many plans in our life. And sometimes you just have to let go of that and not hold on too tightly. You know, um, that was something I wanted to have control over. And I still find that difficult because of the unpredictable situation that I lived in growing up. I needed to have certainty. And I, I'm a planner, you know, which comes in handy as a teacher, right? Because you got a plan, but like I'm planning when I'm on my vacation, I'm already planning the next vacation. And it's not that I don't love where I'm at at the time. It's just, you know, I gotta have, I gotta make sure it's all done. And so it's one of those things where I thought, well, where am I left? If I wasn't supposed to have a girl, why wasn't I supposed to have a girl? And then I kind of, you know, it's all these things in my head. And I thought, these lessons are you got to let go and look at where you are as opposed to where you thought you might be and be okay with that and, and embrace all of that. And it's, that's taught me so many lessons, especially now that my son who's nine asks a lot of questions. You know, I didn't know anything about my birth mother. I didn't know anything about my birth father until I was, seven years ago when I, and so now with my son, he, he's asking lots of questions. I said, I will, I'll answer anything you want to know, honey, anything you want to know. And he still asks me, he knows that I did not give birth to him, but he's like, did you love me even when I was in your tummy? And I'm like, sweetheart, I loved you from the second I knew about you, you know? And he goes, did I love you too? (laughs) I'm like, of course you did. What's not to love? <laughs> We're very close. So yeah, lots of, lots of lessons there in terms of, you know, uh, and I have days where I'm just so frustrated, but I don't like uh, something I don't do that my mom used to do is yell. I'm a loud person. I have a, a sort of a loud voice, but I don't like to yell because she used to, and it just used to ooh, made me feel terrible. So that's one thing that I don't do, but you know, we're all guilty of doing something we wish we didn't. And we're all guilty of going, oh my gosh, I'm my mother. What am I doing? <laughs> I know we are not perfect. It's like, I remember <laughs> thinking about like, you think about like the mother you want to be or the wife you want to be or whatever. You have this vision in your mind and like, it's good to have a goal and a vision and like, and then there's reality. And it's like, we're, we're, we're not perfect. We're all human. We've all like, yeah. been, um, you know, had to apologize or say sorry. Or like, as a mom, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this mom guilt over this one thing. I can be like the best, most incredible mom, like 99% of the time. And this one thing that I said, or I did or whatever, it's like, Oh, like releasing that is like sometimes hard, but we're all. Yeah. I think women, whether you've given birth or, or whatever it is, when you become a mom, you also become a guilt magnet. And that's something we have to, we truly have to let go because we're human beings. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have things that bother us that we've carried with us for years or whatever. 
and it's going to come out and it's okay to say to your kids, you know what, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry about that. And, and let's work through it together. So I just, I feel like as women, we definitely have to support one another instead of going, uh huh, uh huh, you did that, did you? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it should really be more like, uh, I did the same thing yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I'm in the same yeah. situation. <laughs> okay. So you have these two beautiful boys. You got out of teaching in 2010. It's 2022. So that's a 12 year gap. And so, Let's talk about the next kind of, um, I don't know, magic that happened in your life. The aha moment when you're riding off to the shoe swap and you're in this tank top and it is riding up. And I know I've been, I, we go to the shoe swap every year. So it's a long drive and you want to be comfy when you're heading off and sitting in the vehicle. So tell us about this, uh, aha that you had. So there I was, um, you know, I, I've gained and lost a small village in my life in terms of weight. So uh, I was in the car and we were with my son, Christopher and, and Neil and driving along. And I wear tank tops underneath everything because I just I just want to feel like I'm put together. You know what I mean? And for me, my vulnerable area is my midsection. So I didn't want, I don't like people to see like the cellulite part. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. So I wear a tank top, but oh my Lord, they all tank tops ride up. And I was sitting in the car. I wasn't even doing anything. I wasn't doing cartwheels. I wasn't running around. I was sitting still. And I'm like, oh my Lord, I'm going to poke someone's eye out. What is happening? Why is this tank top riding up? And you know what? The first thing that went in my head was because I'm overweight. And I was like, if I wasn't overweight, I bet you this thing wouldn't. And then I, I had this kind of the aha moment was it has nothing to do with your weight, Kiki. It has to do with the, the design of tank tops. And then it went to everyone wears a tank top. Like people wear tank tops to work out. They wear them underneath clothes as a layer. They wear like there's tank top ever millions of women wear tank tops. And then I thought they all ride up and think about the number of women you've seen pulling down their tank tops. Just think about that. Think about the number of women who have bent over and Laverne and Shirley are popping out the front. Right. And think about they they're reaching for something and their Kentucky's hanging out. And it's like, cause their tank tops riding up. And I thought, Holy Lord above, maybe I need to design a tank top. And uh, by the time I got to the shoe swap, I had kind of worked it out in my head after nine hours. <laughs> and I thought, here's my make a difference. I, I felt like I felt like being a mom was a very powerful thing. And I was so grateful for that. But I felt like I needed to do more. I've always felt uh, like I needed to help and, and make people feel good. And how can I help you? How can I make you feel better? Can I hug you? I'm a huggy person. So it's just like everybody I see, it's like, oh, I'm a, give me a hug. And so, um, you know, I, I just thought, what can I do? So I thought I'm going to create a tank top that A, does not ride up. I mean, how I was going to do this, what did I know about this? Nothing. <laughs> uh, but I thought I'm going to make this happen. And I thought, so it's not going to ride up. It's going to keep the girls in place and it's going to be really soft. I'm a tactile person. So I like soft comfy, cozy. That's, that's totally me. I refuse to wear anything that's constricting. 
because with my body type, I have, uh, if you can picture an inverted triangle. So I kind of have like, in comparison to the rest of my body, I kind of have like a smaller bum, smaller legs, and then uh, I'm bigger up top. So I can't wear jeans because if I wear jeans that fit my waist, it looks like I'm wearing a saggy diaper. So I'm like, Kiki's just not a jeans girl. That's all I have to, I have to you know, go, go with that. And so like, I always wear leggings, but then I, I thought, well, it's gotta be something soft. I don't want anything constricting. And uh, so I made, that was in August. And then in November, I made my first phone call. I started researching fabrics and manufacturers and uh, how was I going to figure out what kind of uh, fabric I was going to use. So I checked out more than 2000 fabrics and I thought, this is the one I want. It's got perfect stretch. And I wanted a tank top that wasn't, uh, that was fitted. And the reason I wanted it to be fitted was that whole hug philosophy. So psychologically, if you hug someone for more than five seconds, it raises your oxytocin and lowers your cortisol. Oxytocin is the happy hormone and cortisol is the stress hormone. So I thought, well, geez, if you hug someone all day long, they're going to feel good, right? So, and it means if a woman can, we're all multitaskers, whether you're a mom or not, we, we all wear so many different hats. We are constantly doing things. Uh, you know, men, Put things into compartments. They compartmentalize. They're really good at that. Well, women have 500 things on the go all the time. It's just the way we are. So it's like the one thing they don't have to worry about is their, is their boobs flopping out or their, or their the cellulite showing or their, or their Kentucky hanging out. And it's just like, can I just be put together and do what I need to do without having to worry about my bloody tank? So uh, I, I came, I, I came upon this fabulous manufacturer and I designed these tank tops that stay in place and they feel good and they're soft, they're smooth on the outside and they're not see-through. So you can't see any cellulite. And, you know, as much as we all want to say we love our bodies and we accept our bodies, it's still a process, you know, it really is. And it doesn't matter what size you are. Size six people have issues with their body. Um, and it doesn't matter what shape you are. It's something that gives you that sense of confidence and comfort. And who doesn't want that? You know, who doesn't want something like that? And who doesn't want a tank top that actually functions? So I, I started off as smoothies tank tops and uh, we just we've grown into this sort of leisure wear company where we've got Everything is sustained. Almost everything is sustainable. So 99.9% of our products are sustainable, which is fabulous because people want that also. We're entirely manufactured in Canada, uh, Toronto and BC, in fact. And I design everything and I design everything on the basis that I want it to not only not only feel good, but it needs to look good on most, if not all shapes and sizes. So it's something that's flattering, you know? So we have leggings, we have sweatshirts, we have tank tops, eco-friendly. We're coming out with eco-friendly jammies and pants and shorts and shirts and, and rompers in the spring. And it's just really and truly uh, when people come and they try stuff on, like we've got a, a warehouse and I say, just feel this, just feel this. Huh? try that's on and fail it. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I could sleep in this. I'm like, 
well, good. Cause it's a jammy shirt, you know, it's, it's what you want to live in and our sweatshirts and stuff like that. So for me, when I get messages from people saying, you know what, I have, uh, I have one customer who has MS and fibromyalgia. She can't wear clothes for more than five, six hours. And then she's got to get out of the clothes and she has to get into either nothing or just something different. And she said, there's lots of times where I only have the use of one hand and I can pull up your leggings and I know they're not going to roll down and I can pull on your tank top and then I can sit in. And she said, I realized the other day that I had been in your clothes for 11 hours and I didn't feel bad. And I thought, oh my gosh, that means something. That really means something. And in three and a half years of business, we've only had four returns. And it's never been with a tank top. Wow. Okay. That is, I know it's like what you um, put on your body can definitely um, improve or not with your confidence, right? It's like what you wear is a huge part of your confidence. So if you're wearing something that feels good, I know even the feeling of the fabrics and where you feel like you're kind of put together. You said you can like wear it under a blazer, wear it to work out, um, wear it under, um, like as a, an under layer, however you wish, then you feel more confident in your body moving around. Yeah. You carry yourself different. So that's incredible. 100%. Yes. Cause if you're, com- if you're comfortable, how you see the world changes and how, and when you do that, what you put out there is reflected back, right? So people are going to take a look at you and go, wow, she carries herself really well. She's happy. If you've got something that's digging into you or something, an itchy, scratchy fabric or something that you're, you're sucked in to wear, like, um, I don't have anything against shapewear per se, but I don't like it because I feel like I am a croissant about to burst out of the can. That's what I feel like. Okay. So I don't, I don't wear shapewear. Um, I don't feel more confident putting it on. I feel like I can barely breathe. I feel constricted and I feel like, and my body doesn't look like my body. And it's sort of like, I gotta be okay with the body that I have. And if I'm not okay, then I have the choice to do something about that too. You know what I mean? Like just to be healthier or whatever, but I, I just think it's a false sense of security to wear shapewear. And so, um, you know, our tanks smooth you out, but they don't suck you in, so to speak. And if you, the way that you carry yourself is so big, it's how people see you. And I remember asking my husband, I said, what was it that attracted you to me anyway? Cause we met in Starbucks by the way. And he said, uh, he goes, it was your confidence. He goes, oh, I, he goes, obviously, I think you're beautiful and I'm really attracted to you. And he said, but it was your confidence. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Go, go more into this story. I want to hear it in Starbucks. Like what in the line <laughs> at a table? Like- yeah. So, okay. The funny thing is I don't even drink coffee, but I was at Starbucks. It was during a uh, school break at, at Christmas time. And we were standing in line and um, there was a long lineup. And I was like, what the heck am I doing? You know, it was just, I just wanted to get like a muffin or something. And I turn around and I see this guy standing there. And so I'm like, I don't know what I said. It was something like, um, gee, I hope you're not on your lunch. Cause you know, you're going to have to call in dead or something. Cause we're not going back in the lineup so long. And so we started chatting and he goes, oh, you want to sit down and have a chat? And I'm like, sure. 
And then two and a half hours later, we're yapping away. And this is kind of funny, but he was sort of leaning, leaning forward closer to me. And so I thought he's really interested in what I'm saying. He is engaged. I find out about three weeks later, he's deaf in one ear and he had to lean forward so he could hear me. And I'm like, so you weren't interested in what I had to say? And he... <laughs> so he's like, no, 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 you aren't. But anyway, yeah. And then he just said, he was like, you know, I'd love to take you out for dinner sometime. And then that was it. That was it. Wow. Yeah. It was one of those things where I thought, He's so different from anybody else that I have liked or, or sort of pursued or, or been attracted to. And I thought he is a good human being. And you knew that from day one. And uh, yeah, he's proved that we've been married for 13 years and yeah, he's just, he's the salt of the earth. And it was sort of like, as soon as I had my life together and I, I, I had my confidence and I knew who I was, he literally walked into my life. It happens. That's it. That is it. That is it. Like if anybody listening, it's like, sometimes we're looking outward to find what we want, where we just need to look like go inward because when you work on you and when you heal you, and when you figure out who you are, then the stars will align and all the things that are all the blessings. I just heard this yesterday. The blessings are, it was something like they're just waiting. They're there and they're just waiting for the right time, the divine flow and timing. And it's like, when you are in alignment and when you're an energetic match, they will drop in like snowflakes from this. They'll keep falling. So I love that, that it was, you know, for you, like you say a later in life and it, and it's never too late. I feel like we're all learning and growing and we've all experienced so many things that are a part of our story that make us who we are, that that it's not really a rush. It's just like, it's not an, if it's just a, when it's going to happen. And when you decide to actually go inward, then all of the blessings will, will come and find you. A thousand percent, a thousand percent, because, you know, smoothies, uh, like we're so much more than a tank top. Right. And, and I have, I've never wanted to be small or go small. It's always, everything is always like this. I want to make a massive difference. I want to, I want smoothies, tank tops to be a North American name, uh, you know, and for people to understand this company is amazing because of the difference she's making and what she wants to do. And, how she wants to change how women feel about who they are and what they wear and how they treat each other and how we see each other. I remember when I first started uh, smoothies, I thought we were in Mexico and I was sort of like, Oh, what? I, I had a tank top on. I had my rash guard shirt on, which is, you know, a long sleeved uh, water shirt that you can wear. So you don't get sunburned. And I had on, you know, my shorts or whatever. And I thought, I'm going to make a conscientious decision right here and now. I am never going to look at a woman on the beach or wherever and say, A, I'm so glad I don't look like her. And B, or I would love to look like her. I I wish I looked like her. I'm never going to say that again. I'm going to look at every woman and, and see the beauty in that. And I And that's honest to God. 
That is how I see women. It doesn't matter what size you are, what shape you are. I feel like women are so powerful and amazing and intuitive and unbelievable and the things that we do and the things we're capable of. And I feel like we are just learning our worth because there's so many people out there uh, that are joining this. Hey, we're really tired of feeling like we don't measure up. And it's like, measure up to who? Measure up to what standard? So somehow society has this, has had this skewed view of, of women and who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to look like. And we're coming out of our shells and saying, you know what? Uh, I have a couple of stretch marks. Deal with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'm physically bigger than my husband. And it's sort of like, I remember thinking, oh my Lord, we're going to be walking down the street. What are, People are going to be like, oh, she's, uh, she's bigger than her husband. That's nice. And, uh, but I, we don't, we, I don't see that anymore. You know, he loves me for me. He loves me for, for the human being that I am. And I love him the same way. And, uh, you know, what, what someone can bring to your life is what you allow. And so if you love yourself, that's confidence. If you are constantly berating yourself and putting yourself down, other people are going to pick up on that and they're going to go, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you, yeah, you are kind of like this or whatever. Don't do that. It's, it's, you've got to change. And luckily we have the power to change who we are at any given time. That's a choice. And I feel like we can do that. You can wake up one day and go, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I'm going to change that. And I'm going to, like, I continue to try to reach out and, and help girls and women. I've, I've written two books about doing that. And we have an empowerment camp for girls that we run every September. And I feel like that's my make a difference. I feel like I'm a fulfilled and purposeful human being when I'm helping others. If I'm trying to help someone else in their business, or I'm helping someone else with a relationship, or even just listening, you know what I mean? I'm not like Dr. Ruth, or I'm not a, a counselor or, or, or a psychologist or anything like that. But I will listen. And I am genuinely interested because I want someone to recognize their, their, uh, their strength and their, and the possibilities for them. And it's like, look, you know, if you just look at it this way, it could open up so many opportunities and so many doors for you so that you don't feel like this is what I'm, I guess I'm just going to be a single woman who doesn't have kids and, or what, or I'm just going to, I'm divorced, but I'll never find another man. And I can't do this. You can change all that. You can change your career. You can, you know, I had said to one of my best friends about a month ago, I said, I feel like time is not on my side. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, because my brother, my only sibling passed away suddenly uh, two years ago. And it was that, oh my gosh, I've lost my mom. I've lost my brother. Here I am with this business and I'm not a big business yet. I'm not a huge name. And I don't want to be a small business. I, I, I don't, I want to be a big business because if I'm a big business, I'm making a difference. And that means I'm, I'm reaching more people. And I, she goes, well, what do you mean time's not on your side? I'm like, I'm 53. Like, when is it going to happen for me? And I said, look at, look at Joanna, uh, Joanna from Nick's. Look at this person from, from Smash and Test. Look at this person from whatever. And she goes, Kiki. That's their story. 
that's not yours. And I was like, oh my God, she's right. She's right. And I'm very impatient. And I think that has to do with going back to that, having control. And it's, I just need to let go of that control and go, how do I need to show up and show people my, the reason behind smoothies and why it's worth, worth purchasing or why, why invest and believe in this brand. And it's like, I have to show up as myself. And uh, so, so many lessons to go along the way. And, and I'm so pleased to have met people who want to make a difference like you, you know, I mean, how would we have known? I, you know what I mean? We were, we were introduced because of my, my empowerment camp. We're going to have you know, Jen come and hang out with us and do yoga. And then she introduces you and I, and I'm like, and as we were chatting, we're like, I'm like that. I get that. I've experienced that. Oh my gosh. You know, it's crazy. I know it's crazy how, yeah, the stars all align. It's like one introduction away. It's one little thing. And like you said, I think that's really important that you bring that up. It's like the patience and the rush. It's like, you we're all, we're out of control. Like the, we have, we don't have the control of what's going to happen. So when we're wanting to rush things, then it's just like this resistance. It's, it's not coming because we're not an energetic match. Right. It's like, but then the one thing, and I know you said like what you're doing is incredible and the, the reach of your tank tops and what they've done. It's like the one person, that one person that you shared the story about the one person that you made an impact on, it has changed their life. And it's like, it only like numbers aside. Um, it's like, even if one person is impacted by what you're doing, like, that's it. Like that matters. It's like in my podcast, that's what I think when before it was like, you know, wanting to, I, I understand you. I completely get you because I want my podcast to have millions of downloads because I want the reach the the impacts from the story to reach around the world and change lives. That is why. And I understand you and wanting this big, huge reach across North America or the world because of the impact that your tank tank tops have and the change that it's going to make in the people's lives who are wearing them and their confidence and the way that they feel and the way that they show up. So it's not you know, connected to like money or dollars or fame or this or that, like we're on the same page there. It's like the impact. So I get, it's like this impact. And I feel like so many people you hear about so many people that are so successful and that are having this impact that started at like 60, 70, 70 into their hundreds, you know, it's like, so, so there's no rush on it, but I love how you just so feel that and want that to have that that impact on the world because your tank tops are going to change the way that women show up, feel about themselves, step into their day. So you did touch on this empowerment camp that you're having. So do you want to talk a little bit about like, how did that come about? And like, what's your why? So I'm constantly wondering what can I, what more can I do? How else can I help? How else can I what, what can I do? So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a girl's empowerment mentorship camp. And so we started uh, with COVID back in, in 2020. 
Uh, and we started out with 15 girls and I thought, what are we gonna do with this camp, right? It's, it's gotta be different. And so in terms of the powerment, I thought we're gonna have discussions. So they show up Friday, uh, they, they go home on Sunday and during their time with me and the mentors, we talk about body image. We talk about the dynamics of girl friendships because uh, women, this goes back generations in how we treat each other. And it's the, the impact that a same sex parent has on the same of the, their daughter is the most influential that they'll ever have, right? So the relationship between a daughter and a mom is the most powerful and it's also the most complicated. So I don't know of any girl that's particularly during the teenage years where they're fighting, like, you know, they're really butting heads with their moms, but it's just such a powerful, powerful connection. And so I thought, well, we need to talk about the relationships between moms, our communication, for me, the three most important things of any relationship, whether it's a friendship, a business relationship, a marriage, uh, whatever, number one is communication. Number two, trust. Number three, respect. So if you have all those three things, you've got, you've got uh, a really, really strong relationship happening. And if one of those is fractured, you've got issues. And so I wanted to create that, let the girls know this is how we work with our friends. And for a long time, I would see girls in odd numbers in a group. So three, five, seven, typically three, it's scary and it's dangerous because someone's always on the outs, right? It's always two girls are together and then the one is on the outs. So I thought we need to talk about the dynamics of girl friendships. How are you going to feel when it's your turn to be on the out of that, of that triangle? And what are you going to do when, you know, like, how do you stop that pattern of, okay, we're going to go against this person. And instead we need to change how we interact and react with one another. We talk about acceptance on who we are and who we are wanting to be. We listen to each other. We have discussion. We do team building. Uh, we have, the girls are nine to 14 in our, in our groups. And then our mentors are 15 to 18. And I've written a book called uh, When Being Me Doesn't Feel Like Enough, and it's a workbook. So uh, this is the first year that we have the workbook because I just it just launched uh, six months ago. So we'll have that and we're going to work through it together. How do you feel when you look in the mirror? You know, we talk about body image. We talk about body shape. I was I thought when I was younger, when I was on the verge of anorexia, in fact, I thought I was still fat. And the reason I thought I was fat was because I couldn't do up the jeans that I had bought in the waist. And it was the whole waist thing, but I never had a body that was curvy. I never had a small waist. Uh, my best friend at the time was curvy. So she had a small waist and bigger uh, thighs and, and bum. So she could wear those jeans, but back then they didn't have you know, like the boy style, the straight up and down, which is what I had, because I used to be a competitive swimmer, and I had an athletic shape. So, but I had it in my head. And it's like, you can't do anything about your shape, you can change your size, you know, but we have to be able to, to look at our bodies and what they're capable of doing. And to look at the fact that we as women and girls are connected by the experiences only we can have. 
So like our periods, you know, fertility, uh, pregnancy, miscarriage, those kinds of things. And we feel differently than men. And we're meant to. We're physiologically different. And that's okay. It's okay. You know, uh, earlier in the podcast, you know, I, the memories of my mom brought, brought up some emotion for me. And I didn't apologize for it. You know, people will be talking about things. And, and we, the kids talk about stuff at the camp, around our, our campfire. And we're respectful. And we have a sense of trust amongst each other. And then these girls can take off. It's at the end of September. And then they can carry on their school year with the tools that they've learned and experienced at our camp. And they can kind of take a step back and go, how am I going to respond to this situation? How am I going to respond to the situation where I see that two girls are picking on another girl for what she's wearing or for her size or shape or she's got zits. You know what I mean? It's all, it's all that it's about being better people and making the choice, the conscientious choice to do that. And to say, I might not normally hang out with this person, but I'd like to get to know her. She's, she's unique and she is, she's got lots to offer and I'd love to learn from her. And these girls leave camp fulfilled. They're pumped. They're excited. They want to sign up for the following year. And I get requests going, oh, my daughter wants to bunk with so-and-so. She never, she, you know, she didn't know her before last year, but now they want to bunk together and they've kept in contact throughout the school year, which is fabulous because then they can look, uh, they can contact each other and say, hey, remember when we did this at camp, you know, like I'm just feeling like such and such or whatever. Um, And it's not all, uh, you know, let's sit down and learn. I mean, heck, we have we have the smoothies Olympics and we do all kinds of fun stuff too. So it's three days of uh, just a tremendous experience that the, I want the girls to walk away saying that's the best weekend I've had in a long, long time. So good. Like, I feel like, can you just go into the school system and teach this um, <laughs> to every single teen, young girl growing up? Because my goodness, what a difference it would make or do some like holes. I, I know. I feel like the intimate experience is really good. I was going to say whole school, like motivational speakers, but I mean, we really girls need to hear a different perspective and a different way to um, support and lift and uh, hold each other up because yeah. that time in our lives is, is really, really tough to get through. Yeah. So I love that you're providing this space to give to give those girls that empowerment oh, that they need. You. So I'm beautiful. so I, I'm excited every single year. And, you know, I, I we have 40 spots available um, for next year's camp and we only have eight left. So, and we haven't even had this year's camp. So it's just sort of like, and it gets better and better and better. And uh, it becomes more available. But my dream is to have one in Ontario and to have one in BC, because this is not just, you know, this is a something we, we've got to change the conversation. And in order to do that, we have to make it available and we have to make people aware, which is why I'm doing it. It's like, how else can I help? I don't want another girl to grow up feeling less than. I don't want a girl to wake up when she's 45 and say, man, I'm exhausted from beating myself up. It's not necessary, you know, 
And so it's really important for us to, we talk about celebrating ourselves, but we don't know how to do that. We talk about empowering ourselves, but we don't know how to do that. And it really does mean taking a step back and quieting the mind so that you can kind of push out all the extraneous stuff that society throws at us, particularly with social media, which is another thing we talk about, um, you know, with bullying and stuff like that uh, with the girls, because girls bully differently than boys. Boys will beat the crap out of each other, walk away and be like, okay, you coming over for pizza later? Uh, Whereas girls, uh, they're insidious and they send messages and they send messages and they, they grab other girls on their team, you know, to be against somebody. And we just, it's, it's the perception and it's the knowledge of it doesn't have to be that way. Yes, it does. Absolutely does not. And like, what an impact that you're having in so many different ways, um, in this world, like beautiful gift that you you. have. So thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Thank you for sharing your story. It's, it was incredible. It is incredible. Everything that you're doing. I love it all. It's so, yeah, you're just paving the way for a change for the future for, you know, anybody to decide through sharing your words, sharing your, your tank tops, sharing your empowerment cap, like everything that you're doing, your books, the workbook. So where can everybody find you, follow you, grab your book, grab a tank top, um, some of your clothing that you offer, like, where can we find all this stuff? So, uh, you can go, we're on Amazon. So if you go to amazon.ca, you would look for my women's book is called Kiss My Assets. Uh, Women, (laughs) define your future, uh, uh, define your future in business and in life. And then uh, the girl's book is When Being Me Doesn't Feel Like Enough. And then if you would like to go shopping, you can go onto our website, which is smoothiestanktops.com. We are on Facebook as smoothies tank tops and we are on instagram as uh, smoothies tank tops with an extra s on the end um and um we <laughs> my account was hacked like eight months ago so uh, everything got shut down and i had to start from scratch so here we are right um join us follow us and experience it's an experience to wear our clothing you know we and it's leisure it's leisure uh, wear for everybody. So our tanks go from small to four XL and, um, it's just a way to change how you're feeling and to feel that comfort. And, oh my gosh, this is awesome. You know? So I wanted to thank you so much, Candace, for having me because it matters how we feel about ourselves and how we can reach other people this podcast is something that's also making an impact, a positive impact for people. And uh, to talk about it, to share our stories, makes other people realize, A, they're not alone. And B, there's other ways to think about things. And what a great, what a great power that is. What a great choice we have in our lives to be able to say, I'm going to wake up today and this is who I'm going to be because I choose that. Mm-hmm. So good. Thank you so much. I feel like it can take one story, one moment, hearing one thing that inspires you to make that change. So 
Um, if yeah, you, I, you're right. Yeah. I hope something that I've said today resonates with somebody um, and reach out certainly on Instagram or Facebook. If you have a, a comment or you want to share something with me, I would love to chat with you. Um, just, you know, I would love that. Absolutely. So yeah, if you walked away and you are, um, tag us on IG with your biggest takeaways, I'll link all that in the show notes. So yeah, I'd love to hear what you took away from this conversation and maybe how you're going to make a change or how you're going to look at life a little bit differently, just from, from a story. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of all things relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.